Welcome to the DBS Films Podcast, a behind-the-scenes look into making indie films. Learn from DBS Films about their process, tips, and fun stories that all come with making multiple movies a reality. Hey everybody, welcome to DBS Films Podcast. My name is Kellen, with me as always is my brother Brennan. Together we make movies with DBS Films. Today's episode, we are going into part two of the strikes coming to an end, which are fantastic. Again, we're going to hop in more so on the Writers Guild. We don't really quite have the specific information for the Acting Guild, uh, for the Screen Actors Guild, but that is going to be out soon. Feel free to take a look online if you want. Speaking of looking at stuff online, look at Horror in the Forest. It's our newest movie. Give it a rental and a review. It means the world to us. Also take a look at our Discord channel online because we have movies for our fans, with our fans. Everyone will be part of the movie-making process. Well, that is the place to be, my friends. So where we were last basically uh, picked up, we were kind of going through a lot of the items on the uh, Writers Guild side of things. Um, the one that we did leave off that I really want to highlight as is the biggest talking point, I would say, for a lot of people is artificial intelligence. So this was another one where, again, as I was kind of talking, I was really worried because the language coming back from the AMTPT was just, no, thank you, we will not talk about this. So artificial intelligence, they wanted to regulate the use of artificial intelligence on a MBA covered project. AI can't write or rewrite literary material, can't be used as source material, and MBA covered material cannot be used to train AI. What was the counter? Reject our proposal, countered by offering annual meetings to discuss the advancements in technology. And before we hop into this one, that is the biggest slap in the face I've ever heard, where it's like, we're really worried about this stuff. You know, this could really change us. And again, we are still in ending possibly point one of artificial intelligence of what it would look like. And the fact that they're like, we will have annual meetings to discuss the advancement with nothing tied to it. That is pretty ridiculous to have. So what ended up happening and again, this is the terms that they have online in the actual summary from the WGA. Regulates the use of artificial intelligence on MBA-covered projects. AI-generated written material is not considered literary material, source material, or assigned material under the MBA. AI is not a writer under the MBA. Writers can elect to use AI while performing writing services if a company consents and provided writers follow applicable company policies. Companies cannot require writers to use AI, though, when performing writing services. Also, companies must disclose to writers if any material given to a writer has been generated by AI or incorporates AI-generated material. Guilds reserve rights to assert the exportations of writers' materials to train AI is prohibited by the MBA or other laws. What does this basically mean? It means a few big things. One, AI can no longer be a source point of material. And essentially everything that you were saying in the last episode where it kind of can help with research and the little things, it cannot take the chunk of it. So you cannot say, chat GBT, write me a movie about this, this, and this. And I take that script and I give it to a screenwriter and I say, make this better. You can't do that. Also, what you can't do is you can't take another writer's material go ahead, run it through AI, and then say, hey, this is now a completely different piece of uh, literature, and I don't need to pay the writer for anything there. And you also have to kind of notify throughout the process. Overall, I think this is a massive win, just because in two years, 
we might have ChatGPT 7.0 that is a perfect screenwriter and is really doing these things. So again, I like this because it really phrases AI as a tool. I think that's good for business. I think it's good to utilize this tool. You know, again, it's very powerful when it comes to using it as a tool, but it contains it as a tool, in my opinion. It's not going to eat into the writers themselves. So what are your thoughts on where they stand for the next three years? And again, probably the most pivotal three years. I think in three years from now, we'll have a much better idea of what AI can and cannot do and is good at and what we can use it for. But this was, again, a scary one for me, the fact that they rejected it. And we're like, yeah, every year we'll talk about what we're doing, but that's it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good because it should be used as a tool. It's a better search engine. It should be easier to figure out how to research plots, research things faster. It should improve your writing process. You can quickly find information easier. Um, that's what I use it. I use it to figure out, you know, different plot lines or different kind of basic like research stuff that I would usually spend a ton of time Googling and then click on each individual website. Instead, it gives me information right off the bat. So it's a tool. Um, can it write? No. Do I want it to write? No. I don't. I completely disagree with that kind of stuff. I do not want any AI anywhere near any of my stuff, my written stuff at all. That is something that I just do not think is good. I do think that the AI thing is going to be solved or at least we're going to get clarity from congress um our publishing company multiple companies that we work with which is audible which is amazon which is barnes and noble have all made us check boxes saying we either use ai or we don't and as of right now there's no disclaimers on the page there's nothing in there that kind of says that this book was created with ai or the ai was used in there but i think that's going to happen i think that there's going to be some kind of law saying hey you have to disclose when you use AI to do creative stuff. And when that happens, they're going to put a disclaimer saying this book, this movie, this script has been used as AI uh, been used on this movie. How they're going to tell, I have no idea. But I think this is definitely coming on the pipeline. Um, and it's one of the reasons that AI is banned from DBS publishing, is banned from DBS films, because I do not want to be caught in the crosshairs when one day they turn that switch on and all these AI disclaimers come up on books and movies and all this other stuff, because there's a lot of people who have very negative feelings towards AI, and those people are going to one-star you to death. So right now, we use it as a tool as far as a better search engine, but that's it. There is nothing else coming out of that thing. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes, but trying to push it and trying to get it to write and trying to get it to actually do something um, outside of being a better search engine, I have been able to get it to do it. So maybe I'm just not smart enough to use AI, um, but it's just not there yet. But the precedence needs to be set now because in the future, it could cause a lot of issues. Exactly that. I think this is a great foundation for it. Huge props to the writers because, again, I was worried. I was really worried. You know, again, I, I like to think the further down the line you kind of go in the production process, the you know more critical it is. Um, and the fact that they're able to get all this. Now, again, we haven't seen what the Screen Actors Guild, but we're going to move to that. Um, let's just kind of talk. I think the Screen Actors Guild is going to get a lot. I mean, apparently they were still going back and forth. And like, usually when like you work with the Writers Guild and they get something, you kind of get a similar thing right away, but they went back and they wanted more. I think we're actually going to see some big strides on the Screen Acting Guild side of things. Um, so I'm really curious to see that. But it was something that you were kind of mentioning earlier that I want to highlight before we kind of hop into just why we expect this. 
actors really do have a lot to do when it comes to the 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 movie industry obviously but they do a twofold thing one they're acting in the movie which is what you need and it's not just the main actors it's all of your background actors it's all the different actors all those different roles all part of the the guild and the unions a lot of people are now actors writers so they're part of both unions so you're kind of getting a lot of solidarity from that but here's one of the biggest ones that we have they are marketing machines literally a-list actors. The reason they're A-list actors is their name and face. If I have a name and face, I can put on a poster. I know I will get people to go ahead and watch it. And what do these people do? They do press tours. And there have been no press tours since that. And it's really been eating into that capability of it. Again, I was kind of worried, you know, are they going to like pull back on just, you know, needing stars and things like that? Or like, what is that going to look like? But because of that impact and because of them going on strike, that has it just literally stopped production instantly. And that was the big roadblock. So you want to kind of talk about the, again, the importance of actors, not that there is not important when it comes to writers, they just play such a more critical role in the here and now, whereas writers are almost kind of like your consistent pipeline that you're required for. So you can kind of have a little bit of reserves, which is what the studios were anticipating. The actors, you're done. Game over, shut it down. We're out of here. Yeah, the actors, I mean, it's like whenever you can, you, you have to be able to build a brand. And if you look at the, the production stuff, you pretty much have the brand of the writers. How many writers do you know um, off the top of your head that you want to go see their movies? Um, there's a couple, and that's pretty much it. Um, then you have like the directors. The directors who do really well are the ones who do have a brand. That's David Fincher. Um was the guy who did Oppenheimer? Oh my god, I can't believe I, my brains. Christopher Nolan, uh, Fincher, Nolan. Can't believe I forgot Christopher Nolan. Sorry, Chris. I, he, I he has, yeah, Chris hasn't done much. Maybe he'll, a, get, maybe he'll get a breakout movie. <laughs> it, it's a Friday, and then you got like James Wan and the other guys. Those are guys who go that drive me to the movie theaters to go see their stuff. Um, and the same thing with producers. We haven't really had a lot of producers outside of Blumhouse, and he's kind of. I guess you consider Blumhouse a producer, but he's just pretty much a studio now. So it's like, I don't even know if you consider him, but you had before like Jerry Bruckheimer and some of the bigger guys, um, you knew their stuff. Um, man, who's the guy who did uh, Michael Bay was like a big time producer for a while. Um, those guys have brands that drive you to the movies and, you know, actors are even ahead of them. People go to see movies to go see, you know, the actors in the movies and, you know, you put yourself in a position of power when you have that brand, when you have that loyal following, because they are not only hiring a good actor, they're hiring everyone to go see that, you know, that movie. I think Barbie crushed it. They they knew they had a good IP. They knew they had a good thing. Then Margot Robbie had a huge fan base. And Ryan Gosling has a huge fan base. You put those two together, you're good to go. So um, I think it's still there and, you know, you put these people in a movie that people want to go see and it just, it makes it easier to green light this makes it easier to spend money on it because you know, you're going to get those guaranteed seats, those guaranteed returns Um, for writers. It's just a little bit more difficult, but um, that's why I was surprised that the, the actors actually held on. Well, I guess because the writers struck first, I think it was probably, they probably were the same amount of time. Um, how long were they? they, they it's about the same amount of time because it was a month. Yeah. But the big one that was kind of the curious one is they went, they got the writer's contract. And then you would expect like, okay, deal with the writers. Let's get the actors back. 
and let's get moving again. And then the actors came back and they're like, no. So that's the interesting part. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wild. I, when it was like, this is our best and final offer. Yes. Yeah, that stuff's like, it, I mean, that stuff's wild, but I mean, it needed to happen because now you're really starting to slow down production. And now we're like not seeing like big time IP not coming out to 2025. Um, so it, you know, it, I think, I honestly think that the companies and the way they operate with shareholders and how aggressive these um, streaming platforms are now that we underestimated like their pain points. I think they're, they really came in with the shareholders and they're just like, Hey guys, like you need to have content. If you're not having content in there, people will cut the cord very easily. And you know, you're going to lose a ton of money. You're going to lose those subscribers and there's no guarantee that those subscribers are going to come back. And I think that played, it, it played into the decision of the writers and the actors getting the deals. I think that as much as we thought the studios had a lot of power, I still think they're a handicapped by, you have to create the next newest thing. You have to have the best show or you're going to lose all these subscribers. And if you don't have that revenue coming in, you can really put yourself in a pretty big hole. And it's not like you can go out there and get a loan these days because interest rates are 8%. Exactly that. Come on, pal. Get that down, j pal. Get that, get that rate down so we can make more movies. Welcome to the economic forum with Kellen and Brendan. Um, that being said, let's kind of talk about what the impact is, which you mentioned a little bit, which is, oh my goodness gracious, what is 2024 even going to look like? So many things have been pushed back. And then another one too, is this could have been the great trimming of content in the sense that, you know, a lot of people saying, Hey, we hit peak TV. We're pulling back from it. Shows have been pushed. I think stranger things is 2027 now, something ridiculous like that. So I think this, you know, was it? like six months stretch or whatever, I believe like five months. Um, That is going to, in my opinion, crush the summer box office next year, just because how do you get ramped back up to speed? You're looking at a lot of this stuff. So what are kind of your thoughts on the, the push out of all of that content? Because again, we haven't experienced what the writers strike and the actors strike was doing because we were living in now content, which was done you know, earlier this year, last year, we're going to run into that stretch going into next year. And I mean, you're going to mainly see it with the blockbusters and the big movie releases and things like that. But what are kind of your thoughts on this lag that's built up and how they have to basically push through it? But a ton of stuff has either been canceled or pushed to numerous years in advance. Yeah, I mean, the, the summer box office is going to be really interesting to see kind of like what happens with that, because that should be you know, where these movies are landing that kind of got stuck in the strike. Um, after the summer, I think they'll be fine. I think we'll be have a good Thanksgiving and a good um, Christmas next year. <clears throat> but where that content for the big time blockbusters is going to come from, I'm not really sure. But I mean, there's also people that you can start film, you can start production in December and get it done and have it done by um, summer. If it's like a smaller project or if you just have, you know, all your shit together, you could probably get it done. Um, but, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, but it's definitely not going to be some kind of crazy, um, you know, crazy. We're just not going to have content. Um, it was interesting to see the streamers, both Amazon and Netflix, were just purchasing old content 
old movies and putting them in the charts again. Um, Peacock bought a lot of old content. Netflix, Whiplash is back on Netflix. Like Netflix acquired a ton of old stuff. Um, and I think it worked. The Literally for the entire launch of Horror in the Forest, it was just flooded with old time movies. We have been the highest launched uh, independent horror movie on Amazon in the past six months. And it was just all flooded with, um, and that's just due to the flood of old content. There's a lot of Conjuring, Insidious, all of James Wan stuff is now on Amazon Prime or Amazon Freebie, and that moves up in the charts. And like I said before, Netflix bought a whole bunch of old movies that are very, very good. And I think that works. I think it works to an extent. Um, There is just years and years and years and years of really high quality movies that they can fall back on. Um, And I don't know how many people cut the cord from that, but for me, it's like, all right, like I'll watch The Conjuring again. I'll watch Insidious. I'll watch Whiplash. Um, So that was kind of interesting strategy, but it definitely hurt. Like as much as I thought this might help the indies a little bit, um, it didn't help us at all. If if anything, it hurt us. So it's just, I think whenever you see these strikes in indie films, we're like, all right, now come work for us. Like this will be great. Hollywood shut down. This is the the rise of the indies. No, it's just it's pain for everybody. So I'm really hoping we don't have to do this again in three years. Um, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, everything never is good for indies. But let's talk about one one studio we talk about every once in a while. That is absolutely crushing it and I think is in pole position to make strides going into 2024. Who is that? It is A24. And why is that? A24 signed that interim agreement relatively quickly and they have been pumping and they have been able to advertise their movies and they've been able to have the actors talk about it and their production schedule is still moving forward. So what are my thoughts here? I think, guess what? These legacy studios, these big boys that have been playing around with the strike, they are going to lose a lot of ground to those interim. And I think you're going to see Blumhouse. I think you're going to see A24. I think you're going to see a lot of studios in that element just eat way more of that market share. And I love it. So what are your thoughts on, again, the strategic positioning of A24 to seemingly do no wrong in the movie industry? Well, you got two really cool stories, or at least two really interesting stories coming up, and that is A24 and their expansion. They're expanding by a lot. They will probably be one of the biggest studios, um, you know, right next to Universal and right next to Warner Brothers. They will be very large. They are raising a ton of money. They are getting a lot of investors involved. They are going from small indie studio to powerhouse. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether or not they can keep that quality, that control all the way through the process, which a lot of theaters really are um, production companies really struggle with. And then you have Blumhouse, which there are rumors, and I don't know if it's actually been official, uh, of them merging with Atomic Monster. And Atomic Monster is James Wan's production company. So now you're getting Blumhouse and Atomic Monster, and they will also be a huge um, production house. So I think what you're seeing is these studios, we might be seeing a shift from Warner Brothers, Universal, and some of these big-time players who have dominated this sphere you know, since the 60s are starting to lose and now we're getting these new giants to come up, but it's going to be, can they keep the same quality? Can they keep the same cadence? Can they keep the same release schedule? And you know, what's going to happen with the other ones and you know, who's going to be that new a 24. Does it start with a D we don't know. 
Ooh, look at that. Do, do we know any film studios that start with a D? Which could this be talking about that Brendan is referring to? But again, great, great signs, I would say, for us in the sense that, you know, that wall is coming down and these conversations are happening. And I mean, you know, again, A24 expands. That means they might be looking for a lot more production companies to potentially work with. Here's the other thing. You might see an A24 here. Then what do you hear? A little click. Nice little projector, and we've got the same tacky intro that we have before. Um, but I mean, that's the cool thing with it. You know, I really do think, again, there's a few elements to it, but I just really think that the landscape for 2024, those studios that are doing well align more so with our model than align with traditional Hollywood in that sense. And, you know, to kind of end, I think it's something really great to see that. The smaller studios, again, the downside is going to be they could scale to become these monsters. They could scale to become these big studios. And next thing you know, they are the ones kind of doing that, you know, old Hollywood establishment. But you're seeing studios that generally, in my opinion, care about their fans, care about the community and care about their creatives. You know, who else is going to give uh, $45 million to, uh, you know, Bo is afraid to go ahead and make that. Hollywood studios, not that's not an IP, that's not a remake, that's not something there. So I think they're being rewarded for it. And again, we're here, we're in the wake, and I think we can kind of catch that that and, and surf it a little bit more to kind of get us right in the tailwind of being that next in line indie studio. So you know, again, to kind of end it, I think you're seeing studios that are focused on the art, the creativity of it, their community are thriving. Studios that are looking at the business element of it rehashing ip doing their traditional ways having that closed system they're on the downside so i like that look for 2024 what are kind of your thoughts on again how it's almost shifting power and again you know who likes their community more than anyone bbs film so i think it does set us up for something like that. yeah i mean it's it's definitely shifting i think everything's shifting um i'm hoping that movie theaters start to shift um amc just had a blockbuster quarter they had their best quarter since pre-covid um it didn't do well when they diluted their shares but they had a fantastic quarter so i think that this could start to see whether it's smaller independent movie theaters come back um just a change of the business model with movie theaters i think there's demand for people wanting to go to movie theaters there's just not demand for that kind of experience um, so we'll see how it shifts, but it, you know, I do think with AVOD and Tubi, um, you're going to see the rise of the indie players and that those indie players can get into the movie theaters. All of a sudden we have a path to get higher budgets for more indie, indie, um, indie companies and producers. And that's how A24 started by acquiring indie films. And so I think that, you might start to see now that there is that gap, that space of a, you know, an indie film studio looking for indie movies between one and five million dollars to kind of push out there in the movie theater space. That gap could be gone with A24 moving up. Um, you might just see that get filled by some other studios and you could start to see some really cool stuff, some other opportunities for indie filmmakers in 2024 exactly that so again congratulations to everyone that was out there picketing solidarity for the unions this was a major victory for the creatives i love to see it i think it's a massive moment in the sense of that pivot that we were talking about with the studios and we're excited you know again we've made four movies we will make four movies again 
Knock, I knocked on wood right there. We're looking to make four movies this year with our fourth one, The Haunting of the Murder House, The Lockwood Files. But again, it just sets it up to an ecosystem. Ideally, is developing more and more and more. And, you know, this is kind of shaky ground. Um, I, I think there could have went a completely different way. Studios could have really dug in. Creators could have got hurt a lot. It could have fragmented the industry. And that's not good for anyone that's part of it. So I think, again, very happy that this is happening. As always, be sure to take a look at our movies online. Horror in the Forest is now out. Be sure to go ahead and give it a rent and a review. It means the world to us. And then also be sure to take a look at our Discord channel online because we make movies for our fans with our fans. If you ever want to be part of the movie making process, that is the place to be. But until then, have a good one, my friends. <laughs>